You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. One, two, three, mic check, here we go. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Fall Sessions. I believe this is number four, the fourth one that we've released uh, here with Aaron from the Fall Podcast. And, uh, man, I'm, I'm loving these conversations that I have uh, with him. And, and, yes, we're revisiting old topics, but I don't know. If you're listening to this, oh, like this podcast, it's because you love deer hunting. And I love deer hunting, and I love talking about all things deer hunting. And uh, this episode is no exception. We're going to be talking about the moment of truth in this episode. And so let's kind of recover here or uh, cover what we've already talked about on these sessions. We've talked about the habitat. We've talked about um, how to set up access routes, things like that. You know, we've talked about uh, bedding, staging, things like that. We've talked about deer behavior, you know, what qualifies a big buck, what qualifies a mature buck, how big mature deer act compared to the rest of the herd, you know, uh, so behavior, things like that. We've talked about the biology. And today we're talking about the moment of truth. We're talking about how we as hunters act when we have a target animal in front of us and that's within shooting range all right we've done all the things correctly and now it's time to draw back the bow settle the pin and pull the trigger in hopes of getting an arrow in the vitals of one of these animals that we obsess about all year round and so that's what today's podcast is about um you know, Aaron, uh, dude, I, I love chatting with this guy. I love chatting with this guy. 
And so it's a fun episode. It's going to be educational. It's definitely entertaining. And uh, man, I, I'm thinking the next time we record, we're actually going to be talking about gear, like what kind of gear that we we like to use and, and air weights and, and things like that. So um, that's going to be the next the next topic of conversation, I believe. So that will that will launch next week. Other than that, man, um, this week, I tell you what, man. So my goal, what my kids get out of school, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, the 7th, it's the last day of school. And my goal was, I mean, it, my goal is, but now it's slowly turning to was because of just time is I wanted to get out and start hanging trail cameras this weekend. And because we have baseball tournaments, because we have wrestling tournaments, uh, we have, I think, soccer's over, dance is over. So we have those two things still, and they take up all weekend. I feel like I'm going to have to postpone my trail camera tree stand type setup for a month, or maybe not a month, maybe two weeks in order to get out there. But I want to involve my kids this year in, in, in this because they're old enough to walk through the woods with their pants on. They're old enough to help me sit out there. I'll spray them down with bug spray and we'll get out there and we'll, uh, you know, just be in nature really is what I want to do. Keep them out of the poison ivy, keep them away from the bugs. But uh, that's the goal. And then hopefully, you know, I got a, you know, the, the new, the new farm that I have access to, it's about three hours away. And so I want to get a cell cam out there in front of a mineral site that I've already established. And I just want to kind of start collecting pictures of the deer that, uh, that are going to be on that farm this year. And if it's anything like last year, man, there's a, there's a good chance, uh, there's going to be definitely another four or five year old to chase. And so I'm happy about that on the main farm. Uh, I just really hope the one, the one buck, the big eight pointer with junk that I've mentioned in several episodes, hopefully he's back. And, uh, then I can start putting a plan together, uh, throughout the summer leading into September of what deer make the hit list and where I want to, you know, what, where I want to spend my time. Uh, do I want to go to the new farm? Do I want to go to the old farm? Uh, I think I think the main here's the difference. The main farm that I've hunted for the last 14 years, it's going to probably be a one. There's always two old bucks, but from an antler size, there's one or maybe two bucks that that would give me an opportunity, right? So, so last year there was the big giant eight, and then there was another eight pointer. I would put him in the mid 140s as uh, an eight pointer that's a good deer man he was heavy uh great you know great g g2s good good brows and then he just kind of shrunk out from there but so there's two there now on the new farm i just feel like it's it's not necessarily quantity or a quality it's just the quantity of four-year-olds 
is going to be higher there. So I think I'm going to get an opp more opportunities at a four-year-old or older as opposed to the other farm where there's only really going to probably, you know, if I had to guess, there's going to be two. But who knows? It's a different crop rotation this year. This is the first year I've hunted this crop rotation on this new farm. And so we'll see how things change there. I don't think it's going to change too terribly much, but uh, I have a feeling that this fall or this late season could get interesting because the I think the deer will come through the uh, through the property and go to another property as opposed to go to the farm that had the corn last year. So if there's going to be a rotation, they're going to head uh, further in through the farm that I hunt and not go to the picked bean field they'll probably try to stay corn i don't know that's a that's a, a guess so we'll see what happens trail cameras are going to tell me a lot i'm going to go set those up with hopefully within the next couple weeks hopefully can involve the kids and um that's the goal anyway and uh so i did not draw kansas i drew south dakota so now uh, i have to say is south dakota good enough for me this year do i just want to go to south dakota and not go anywhere else or do i want to mess around with a september hunt in nebraska or try to fit another october hunt in to like uh oklahoma or something like that but once we start getting into november everything starts to get more and more and more uh, complicated because of sports wrestling kicks back up and there's damn near a tournament every weekend and so life is just life is just deep right now i mean the schedules are just slammed and uh trying to find the time and he, he, here's the thing man like i don't necessarily care if i hunt less because i i don't know about you if you're a father out there uh, and you got kids and activities like i sat through a three-hour dance recital and yes, it felt brutal, but I only had to do that once a year. And I enjoyed watching my daughter uh, dance. I, love, I, I, I just loved it. I'm going to enjoy watching her wrestle this weekend. I'm going to enjoy, I enjoy coaching and watching my son play sports. Even my little one, my, my five-year-old. I just love it. And so I'm okay with going and doing those things in lieu of hunting. Now, if you start if you start throwing projects in, like, hey, we got to do this to the house, or or we got to go to this wedding, or we got to go to this event, then I'm gonna be like, eh, I'll, I'm gonna probably go hunting and skip all that other stuff. But if it's family, man, I, I I'm okay with that. I'm definitely okay with that. All right, so let me pull up uh, the today's commercials. We got to get into that. Tethered TetheredNation.com. If you are looking for a uh, a saddle, saddle hunting accessories. If you're looking for a platform, climbing sticks. Tethered has everything that you need in order to get started or to refine your uh, your saddle hunting uh, you know journey. I guess you could say the cool thing about Tethered, and I know these guys pretty well. They're not like, hey, you have to be a saddle hunter all the time. They understand that there's instances where a tree stand might work, uh, there's in, or certain climbing sticks or whatever method or a ground blind. They understand that. So what they're what they do is they look at uh, a saddle like a tool in a tool belt, right? Sometimes you got to get ultra mobile and you want to be ultra lightweight. Saddle's gonna work. Other times, man, 
a tree stand might work. But when it's time to use a saddle, the people at uh, the, the crew at Tethered, these guys are passionate about hunting. They love the community that they've created. And they, all they want to do is help people get better and, and they give back as well. So go check out Tethered's uh, website, check out all their, uh, all their uh, products uh, and, and the community there. It's an amazing company. All right, uh, wasp archery, like just the deepest metal that you can find, play it. And that to me describes like, uh, it reflects wasp because I, like every time I, I see a, one of their broadheads, I just think of like the uh, Metallica playing in the background of the old school hunting videos where, you know, like a guy's walking in the wood and it's just like the heavy metal. I don't know if you would, you saw that trend back in the nineties, but, uh, but that's what reminds me of wasp mechanicals, fixed blades. Most of their heads are made in America. They're made from the best material. And when they hit their target, they destroy what they hit. And that's kind of where the metal comes in, right? It's just like, wow, pow, blood everywhere and, and, and destruction and dead deer and really that's all that's what we want at the end of the arrow we want something that's going to destroy tissue uh, go through bone and the design of wasp is really what does that so wasparchery.com vortex optics uh oh wasp archery uh, go to wasparchery.com discount code nfc20 and you're going to get 20 percent off of your purchase and that lasts all year round so Use that discount code, share it with your friends, and uh, you're going to get one hell of a deal there. Uh, Vortex Optics, uh, they just launched, God, I had it here somewhere. Um, one second, I'm going to pull, I'm going to go to uh, Hunt Stand real quick. We're going to talk about Hunt Stand. If you're looking for a digital map, you need to go check out, um, you need to check out Hunt Stand. Digital maps, right? They have weather forecast, like weather forecast on this map. Uh, the the mapping that they have updates on a monthly basis, so you're getting the best satellite imagery. It gives you the ability to uh, organize your trail cam picks. It gives you the ability, you know. And this is where I always say, you know, don't take my word for it. Go to huntstand.com, read up on all the functionality, and while you're there learn about the pro whitetail platform that they've recently added within the past year or so and it's it's truly uh designed for serious whitetail hunters okay and so read up on all the functionality while you're there check out the pro whitetail platform and uh that's it all right now i know this is not professional and you're not supposed to have dead air on um online but uh, let's see here. Where am I at? Where am I? At? Hold on. Uh, let's see. They have a they have a new uh, they have a new HD 10 by 42 binocular out, and it's it's created for the working man. And so go to vortexoptics.com, check it all out. And uh, man, I had a this is so this is so unprofessional. Vortex T E X. It says confidential, unreleased. All right, and this this it was on June 21, so I can say this. Uh, the Triumph HD, 
Okay, so it's the Triumph HD 10 by 42 binocular, and it has um, just go to the website, check it out. It's got an HD optical system and uh, just very high quality. I have one coming to me. They're going to send it to me. As soon as I get it, I will uh, take a look at it. I'll let you guys know more about it. Actually, here within the next month, I'm supposed, I feel like I'm supposed to head up there to Wisconsin and talk with these guys uh, about this and have another like a hunting gear podcast where I get an update on all of the new products that they've released over the last year. Um, the cool thing about it is it, it's tripod adaptable. It's uh, nitrogen gas purged. I'm guessing that's a quality thing. Rubber armor, mul- uh, fully multi-coated lenses, shockproof, fogproof, HD optical system. So uh, again, just Vortex putting out really good, you know, really good binoculars so if you want to find out more about this go to vortexoptics.com we're done all right and i apologize for being ill prepared right there but the triumph hd go check it out uh we're done with commercials huge shout out to aaron for taking time out of his day please go to itunes if you could all do me a favor go to itunes or wherever you download your podcast leave a five-star review Let everybody know how awesome the Nine Finger Chronicles is, how awesome the Sportsman's Empire and all of the podcasts on the Sportsman's Empire are. And uh, let's let's keep the party rocking and rolling into 2023 and 2024. And uh, I'm done talking. I've taken up too much of your time. Let's get into the fourth installment of the fall sessions. Enjoy. Three, two, one. All right, I think this is episode number four. Is that right, Aaron? Something like that. Three yeah. or four. We're, we're, we're rolling, though. We're rolling on it. We're rolling. Uh, anyway, whatever episode this is, this is the fall sessions. And if you haven't learned or listened to, if you haven't learned, if you haven't listened to the previous episodes we've done, go back and listen to those. Uh, really good conversation here with Aaron about all things whitetails, basically. And today we are going, going to focus on the moment of truth, that, that moment when the deer is within shooting range, it's time to draw back and get the job done. And that's what, that's the topic today. But before we do that, we got to BS a little bit. We've had a holiday weekend, a three day holiday weekend, uh, that just got over. How was it for you? It was good, man. A lot of uh, much needed, to be honest with you. Um, but it was we, we couldn't ask for a better three day stretch oh, yeah. of weather in Michigan. And I think it was in like the 80s, you know, with a slight breeze, you know, no, no. We do need some rain, but yeah. um, it was just perfect. You know, honestly, got a lot of yard work done, got uh, a lot of stuff around the house done. But I'm not going to lie to you. Set, or Sunday and Monday, we just did a lot of sitting around on the porch and yeah. just kind of hanging out, to be honest with you. Yeah, I feel you. My, so Friday I started it. I worked on it Saturday and I worked on it Sunday. And Monday, I I didn't do much, too much with it. But I, my deck is original with the house. So we're sitting at 30, mm-hmm. th- you know, 30 years now. And I, I stripped all of it off um, except the frame. So like the vertical boards and the the posts that go into the ground, they're still good. And so the 
every single screw was like rusted. So I would try to undo it and it would snap or it just was caked full of crap and I couldn't even get it anyway. So I, instead of going through and trying to unscrew them, it was just a pry bar, just ripping, <laughs> you know, ripping uh, wood out of off the deck. And uh, that's what I did. And thankfully that's over. And now I just have to put it back together with new lumber. There you go. Yeah, that that's uh, honestly my father-in-law and mother-in-law were doing that to their deck. And I went over there twice when they were in the in the blistering sun and they're like putty knifing it off so they can repaint it. And I'm like, well, time for me to leave. And I, I, felt, I felt terrible when I'm like, I, I, I can't tell you the, the analogy I gave them, but I it was basically I'd rather change a blowout diaper than do that oh, right now. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, blowout blowout diapers are easy to to switch oh, up, yeah. man. I mean, just. You know, after three kids, I, I've been through enough of them where it's just uh, <laughs> done. And then, yep. you know, and here's the crazy thing. All right, so this is my job. I'm sitting down right now. I type on a computer all day. I, I work out on a regular basis lifting heavy weights. The thi- but the thing about it is that physical labor, I haven't done it in so long. I was just exhausted after doing just maybe like, I want to say 12 total hours in three days of physical labor. Yeah. Using different muscles, I think, man. And honestly, being outside too, being outside is just exhausting enough. Like when you're doing stuff like that. Absolutely. Even, even during the season, right. Where you're just outside all day, mate, you're, you're probably just sitting in a tree stand or sitting in a saddle. You're not really, I don't know. You're not doing anything, but I'm always so tired at the end of a hunt it's just all i want to do is go to bed i couldn't agree more man it's mental mm-hmm. mental you, you gotta i remember times when we'd be out in kansas or something like that and, and we'd you know might be raining one morning or something like that and we we're gonna we're, we're gonna go do a, a a walk around and just kind of do like a speed scout during season you might go do that for two hours and you're walking on flat ground with a little bit of yeah. elevation change and you get back and you're like man i feel like i just ran a marathon <laughs> like what the hell you know and i think i think that that uh thought of like man i don't want to go out and walk around because i'm gonna get tired i think that gets masked by because you're out there doing deer stuff and it's like this you know this is what we're doing we got to go do this and then you get back and you're like you're sore and i'm like what what have i yeah. been doing exactly so exactly all right um man did you draw kansas i did you son I of see a bitch you. i did i not. see that you didn't no <laughs> and that was on one point too you have one or two points I have one. So let me tell you this. Okay. Okay. So there's me and my 10 closest friends and five of us had a point. So Mm -hmm. we went in as a group together. We all drew and then five of us didn't have a point. So they went in a group together and they all drew with no points. Okay. And, um, then I have another buddy that has two points for Kansas and did not draw. So you tell me what's going on. (sighs) Now that now I'm starting to hear this stuff because once I posted that, people got back to me and say, "Hey, I didn't draw," or you know, "Hey, oh my God, I drew with zero points this year." So yeah. I don't know how they do it. I I would assume that the people with the most preference points are going to draw first, but I know that some other states, it's X percentage of this preference point, X percentage of this preference point are going to draw, and so. 
even though I had one preference point, people are reaching out to me going, hey, I drew with zero. Or a group of five people were picked with zero points over me with one point. Mm -hmm. I don't. Yep. I was a little so frustrated. I, I'm wondering too, like something I want to dive into more is, is it better to go in a group mm -hmm. when you don't have any points? Um, yep. We've went as far as like those guys, my buddies have been going to Kansas for four years and they, the first year they all drew the second year. I think they all drew. And then the third year, some of them did, some of them didn't. That's why some of them have points and some of us do. Yeah. So like we did find out something that like, your group leader, if they are like new and if and like we were bringing in guys that have never hunted Kansas. Mm -hmm. So like if that person was new to Kansas and have never applied, you want them to be your group leader because they have a better odds of drawing. And once they draw, then everybody else will draw. We've done that because that's what we've read and heard. The also, the other thing is like, I want to know if, if drawing in a group is better because obviously does that, does that mean you have, five chances like dan if you wouldn't went with four of your oh, buddies yeah. would you, would each of you guys have technically like five chances to get in i don't know how that works so like, if, I if your number out. is pulled and it's a no pulled no pulled no pulled no pulled yes then that one yes counts for your entire group to go yeah 100 yeah so my buddies the first four could have been like no's and then my buddy justin he was a group leader he could have pulled he was the yes, just the random yes, and then all the rest of them get. I do know that that, that that's how it works, but oh, you do? I didn't okay. just, yeah, I just don't know if it's like, you know, if you go in as, as a group of five, if that gives you a higher percentage, you know what I mean, yeah. than just being a one guy. I don't know. but And then also it's like, you know, I don't know if, if Kansas treats their zones like Iowa does. Like Iowa obviously zones six and five mm -hmm. and four – are quote unquote the better ones. So it's like, it takes more points to draw those than like yeah. lesser zones. I don't know if Kansas does that or not. Cause my buddy that had two points and didn't draw. I don't know if that zone is technically like a lesser or a, a more sought after zone. Right. I, I don't know. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. I know that in Wyoming, if you, if, okay. So let's say me and you, I have 10 points and you have, zero points we would go in with a combined five points yep. preference points so they average it out based off of the the deal and so or you know the the amount of points that you have and so that i can understand that better than a, a group of five people with zero points drawing over a one person with one preference point drawing i, I don't understand yeah. but whatever I'm not paid to think like that or, or so make those decisions with Kansas. This, well, right. Yeah. Right. And that's like, it's, it's, I feel like there's nothing black and white in any state. No. You know what I mean? Like this is how you're supposed to do it. And so like when we drew, when we were applying for Kansas this year, it was a mess. Like mm -hmm. they changed some things up. So we end up having to call the state of Kansas to make sure we we're doing it right. But a couple of things we figured out were, so I was the group leader for our five guys that had points. But so that has to go under my credit card. You do mm -hmm. one credit card. Okay. So you're paying so like, for five tags. Yeah. And then they have to pay me back. Gotcha. Yeah. My, my card got hit for like $2,400 or something like yeah. that, you know? So yeah. then they pay, pay me back. But anyway, so one thing we did figure out is that let's say my card, this happened to me. 
let's say my card was like a number off or the wrong date or something and it didn't go through we don't draw so and they won't like grant you a tag or nothing so me and my four buddies if my card failed none of us get a tag okay and so what happened was i i was the group leader i put my credit card in literally like a week after we applied somebody stole my credit card yes and started racking up charges on it so i had to cancel it so then i had to call the state of kansas get on the phone with a lady and tell her i want to make a different a different card my primary card because i do not want this to be screwed up and these guys not go to kansas because of me yeah. i got all that squared away it was it was it was a mess yeah but that is another thing too like you know your card might have been one number off and that could be why you didn't draw yeah well that happened with me this year too okay so i don't know if it affe- if it affected kansas or not because i went in and i changed it you know i changed my primary card on on the line but in south dakota i still drew and then said you could you know congratulations you're successful in drawing this this limited quota tag but you have failure to payment and that needs to be updated by the time that you uh, you know that that you purchase you actually print this tag off or start to mm-hmm. use it or it won't be valid and so gotcha. and so i had to go into the south dakota platform change that up and yeah yeah and i had to do that with all, a lot of things like i had <laughs> i had I, I think I was the one who misplaced it. I don't think anybody stole it. I think I just, it dropped, maybe it fell out of my pocket somewhere or wherever. And um, so I just canceled everything. And man, I had to do like, I had a ton of bills coming out of my, you know, my business account. And it's, and so I had to go through and do exactly that same thing, like 10 or 15 times. So whatever. Mm-hmm. That sucks. That it was my business card as well mm-hmm. for the podcast. And and like all my subscriptions, like my Adobe subscription, my yep. like, you know, whatever it might be, my website, all that stuff. Like all of a sudden these, these delinquent like payments or whatever coming up in my email. I'm like, what the hell? Well, yeah. the only thing I could figure out is somebody in Cleveland, Ohio, mm-hmm. you know, shout out to Ohio. Uh, somebody stole the number and racked up like $4,000 in charges in about I don't know about eight minutes on mm-hmm. they all what they did is they got gift cards from a target. Okay. And so like they racked up all that stuff. So then I had to cancel that, but I'm like, I'm trying to trace my steps back. Cause I still physically had the card. Mm-hmm. Well, I had went to the car wash and ran my card. That was the last time I used it. And I don't, I don't run it a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I don't use the card a ton. And I'm like, man, maybe the car wash or I don't know. I, I yeah. really don't know how they got the numbers or, but I'm like, boy, they, they really ran me through the ringer. Yeah. That happened with me. Uh, oh, several years ago, they, I had a credit card. I, I no longer have a credit card, just a debit card. And it was in California. Someone got a hold of my number somehow. I, like you said, I had it in my hand and they bought like rims that, when you would stop, they would keep spinning the spinners, <laughs> the spinners and flowers. <laughs> so I'm just imagining the shopping spree this guy went on or this person went on where it's just like, all right, I got this credit card number. I need to make a couple really 
big purchases. I'm going to the rim shop. I'm getting dubs. And and now I got to go, you know, whoever, I got to go uh, buy flowers for my old lady because she's pissed, right? She's pissed at me right now. So she's going to be impressed when I have new rims on my car and I, br- I bring her flowers. So Oh, my gosh. That's hilarious. So there's that. All right. Moment of truth, my friend. And before we get into this topic, I want to ask you what you feel is the hardest. And and let's just use a general mature buck or a general like top tier, top two deer in a square, you know, in maybe 10 square miles or whatever the case is, right? The the top of the top, whatever, if you're in Michigan, that three-year-old that you talk about here in Iowa, I'm talking about a four or five-year-old, you know, wherever, wherever you're at, what is the hardest thing in your opinion, the hardest strategy the hardest obstacle to overcome when we're talking about getting a mature whitetail into shooting range? What is the hardest obstacle to get them into range? Yeah, what's or... to overcome to get them within shooting range? Um, boy. Mm. So the way I, I look at that question is like I have the deer in shooting range and I'm, yep. I'm going to the moment of truth, right? Like what is my biggest over like obstacle? Yeah, and, and so the I'm, I, I have this thought in my head about a line of questioning that I'm trying to progress, right? Because... We're like, I feel that the learning curve to get within shooting range is easier than it is, or to get to get a shot off on a mature buck is easier than a deer now within shooting range, and you just have to pull the shot off. That's I feel okay. like the moment of truth is the hardest obstacle to overcome. Over just getting within shooting range of one yeah so you're saying i think what you're saying is like you're saying getting getting the opportunity is easier mm-hmm. than draw or is is pulling that trigger finishing and making that making the the good shot count i i i would agree with that okay. um in in to kind of my biggest obstacle and i went through this man i i struggled a couple years with this and i have reasons what reasons why Mm -hmm. and i'd like to get into those today i think there are some things that people can learn um but man slowing that five seconds down is the hardest thing i've ever ever done Mm -hmm. like you know you could every anything in my in my life it is the hardest thing I've ever done is, is because you're, you're getting ready to take a life, but you're also trying to read that animal. You're trying to make the best shot. You're trying to, you know, do everything right. Cause you only get one opportunity and to slow those five seconds down is so difficult. Yeah. So difficult when you're, when you're almost having a, having a out of body experience about every time. And, the, and yeah. And the, and the thing is, is Dan, you, you never get to practice it. No you know you don't get to get in the batting cage and taking reps off the tee like it, it is yeah. you know you only practice it when you're in the moment game time you know yeah yeah man it, okay so it took me 10 years let's say for me to have or within a 10 year 
period, I had a couple aha moments. From 2006 to 2016, um, I was growing my strategy. I was growing my approach. Yes, I did have some encounters with big deer, but it was more, I would say, luck than skill. Yeah, I might have been in the right spot, but I wasn't in the right spot within the right spot, right? And so I would either get busted or it would be luck, you know. And so when, and then from that point, and, and I think one thing that really hurt me was I just wasn't shooting enough deer Okay. kind of growing up. And so I went in at 26, I went right into the mature deer world. Right. I was talking to farmers. I was talking to uh, my buddy Todd, uh, you know, all these people who, you know, I, I got a trail camera picture one time, went to the two hour photo or, you know, the hour photo, had it developed, yep. went back out to the farm. I showed the, the you know, I showed the a picture of the, the deer to the farmer and he looks at it, it's probably like 125, 130 inch 10 point or eight point or something like that. And he goes, oh, don't shoot that buck. That buck's too small. You got to wait for one of the big boys that are around here. And so that is, I'm, I'm just a product of my environment at this point. Mm -hmm. And I, I instantly go to try to shoot four-year-olds. And I never had the experience of just hammering deer. I never went through a brown it's down stage. I never went through a four corn stair stepping it up. I just went to the biggest possible deer as quickly as possible or, or a certain age class. And I feel that at that moment of truth, that hurt me. And it hurt me hard, especially when shipwreck showed up because I had never, and yes, I've, I've killed a couple deer in that time span, but there's, I, I was never in control of the moment. And mm -hmm. I think because I didn't shoot deer, and I'd never been there before because, you know, that, that old saying you hear in sports, like act like you've been there before. I had never been there before. And so I'd never been around big deer before or I've never drawn back on big deer. And it just it just messed me up right from the get go. Yeah. And, you know, and that's that's something being a product in your of your environment. That's why one reason right there is why I'm, I'm glad I grew up where I did with the people that I grew up with, because. You know, when I was when I was 12, 13, even younger, even up through high school, man, there was nothing really. I mean, there was nothing really said like, oh, we're, we're killing these giant bucks. You yeah. know, you watch it on TV, you watch Saturday mornings, Realtree and stuff like that. And you see them on ESPN or something like that. But that's 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 a uh, uh, like a dreamland. Yeah. Like you never like that that's something that only the privileged got to do like back yeah. then like when you go to school it's like you know you're trying to kill a buck that's all yeah. that's all it is you're trying to see a buck and you're just trying to kill a buck and you know in that time frame dude i remember just hammering deer yeah. hammering does and bucks and little bucks and whatever and and you know being so excited and your buddies being excited for you and everything and like that helped out um a lot mm -hmm. you know and that's why like it's it's cool to hear you say like you're from Iowa and everything like that and just that one little interaction you had with that farmer like literally stuck with you forever. Yeah. You know, um and now it's probably to the point where it's like you you do, 
if you're anything like me, like I, I don't want to kill like a hundred inch deer just to go kill a hundred inch deer. Right. Like I'm, I'm past that, you know, yeah. it's like, I want, I want to try it. So like, you can't really go back from that other than just, just hammering does, you know, yeah. which is fun too. Yeah. And, and so when I get a lot of these Instagram type messages or Facebook or emails from people saying, Hey, check out this buck. You know, I'm a new hunter. Do you think this is a good buck to shoot? And so I, I start this line of questioning to them. And I'm saying, how long have you been hunting? How many deer have you killed? And th it's always way less, right? And so I humor them a little bit because they're just interested in a big buck, just like anybody would be. Mm -hmm. But then within this conversation, I'm telling them, man, you need to just be dropping deer. Every, every tag you have, you want to try to fill it. Whether that's on a four-corn, whether that's on a doe, you know, or 120, wherever you're at. If you're a brand new hunter, my suggestion is to just smoke as many deer as possible. Because as you start to stair step up into a bigger caliber of deer, it will, it has the most benefit than any strategy we ever talk about. And like, you want to be comfortable around deer, you got to get deer under your belt, especially the shot. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, the does are the perfect thing to do that with. And it's like, I almost, I almost positioned it as, you know, when I was trying to, to, to kill a lot of deer and, and get better with it and practice it. And it's something my wife too, she hasn't killed a ton of deer with her bow. Um, you know, so it's like one of those things, like we, we got to shoot more deer to, yep. to get, you know, that feeling. And, and like, you've been there, like act yep. like you've been there. We need, we need that feeling more. And we need to remember that feeling. So like with those, we would go and have like, I don't want to call them competitions, but we'd have like a biggest doe competition yep. or we'd have like, you know, like who can come back to camp with the most does in one night kind yep. of thing. And when you have those like little, little, uh, you know, little side bets or something, yep. whatever with your buddies going on, it makes things a little more amplified and yep. it makes you concentrate more. Yes. It's not just the doe. It's like, this is real life. This is real stuff, you know, and let's take it seriously kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, the, over the last couple episodes, we've talked about how to get deer or how to get, put yourself in position to, um, whatever train feature, bedding, staging, whatever. And now the deer is coming in. Let me ask you just kind of a fun question right now. Would you rather have a deer surprise you and come out of nowhere, maybe let's say during the rut, he just blows in chasing a doe and he stops right in front of you, or you're able to watch him for 500 yards just slowly come in and it takes maybe 15 minutes or something like that. What would you rather have? <laughs> oh man, it is so difficult to answer that question because I want a little bit of both. Like mm -hmm. I want to be able to see him come because then I can pick a spot. Like I can kind of see where he's going. I can pick a spot, but I also want him to show up right away. So it's just draw back, shoot. Um, if you're, if you're telling me I got to pick one, I want him to show up out of nowhere yeah. and I just have to read and react and I'm going to kill it. Yeah. Like that's what I want to happen. Yeah, man. Because I don't know about you, but when I'm sitting in a tree, I I'm ranging I'm active. Like I'm ranging every single, that's all I'm doing is thinking about, okay, what happens if he comes behind me? What if he comes here? What if he comes here? And I already know the ranges 
I already know, you know, if he's going to come through here, what I would do in certain scenarios. So that's just all I'm thinking about. Yeah. But I like this happened this past year. It's almost like it happens so fast. You go into kill mode and you're not even reacting as opposed to, you know, they're having some kind of period of time come through where in the past or not this past year, but the year before the Buckeye shot, I watched him for 20 minutes. And so I got hyped when he turned his head and I was like, holy shit, you know, 24 inches, whatever. And then I was settled down. But then ultimately, as he starts to walk towards me, I'm starting to elevate again. Mm-hmm. And so it's not like when, when they show up out of, you know, and they're, they're surprised, it's not like I even elevate. I'm just like, wham, done. As opposed to, oh, okay, I'm calm, I'm calm. Oh, you know, more of a roller coaster. Yep. So I don't know. Yeah. And you're, you're probably not going to like my answer with the whole ranging thing because I use a ranging bow sight. Yep. And um, so I use a Garmin bow sight. I've shot one since 2019. I've shot them before I was even, now they're a partner of the podcast, but I, it was a, it was a piece of gear that I knew would help me in the moment of truth because I have struggled with some of this and, you know, I shot a one pin slider and then I shot fixed pins before where you're gap shooting or, you know, but you, you always have the range finder and then you're, you're popping it up ranging, maybe adjusting your sight or, you know, popping a range and maybe gap shooting. And I'm like, it was way too much for me. I had to simplify my process and yeah. that piece of gear simplified the process for me because when I get a tree, I still have a range finder. I will pop ranges just so I know, you know what I mean? It's just, and then the range finder goes away. Yeah. Okay. And now I'll tell you being able to like see a deer clip on and just wait for him to get in range and not have to worry about range. Because when you go to full draw, you hit a button, just like a range finder, ranges, gives you your pin, you shoot. Yep. I've got a lot of flack for using the site, but I don't care because I'm way more ethical. I'm way more confident. I haven't messed up yet. I mean, it could happen. Yep. It, it, you know, it's, it's, it will happen. But, like, it just gives me so much more confidence. And we talk about slowing the moment down, eliminating one of those steps right, right there slows the moment down for me dan because it's not i'm not thinking about 10 things i'm only thinking about eight things you know what i mean uh or whatever it might be um and to me i owe that to that animal yeah if that makes sense yeah yeah so in iowa we're not allowed to use anything a little battery powered on our bows so it can't we can't have a um a battery powered uh sight or rest like rest or anything like that did they just change that? Because I called them last year, and they said that I could still use it there. Oh, really? Yes. Hmm, maybe they have changed it then. I don't know. As far as maybe three years ago or something like that, I all I, I read in it, in the articles, like no battery-powered uh, archery accessories or something like that. And So, so then you can't use a rangefinder at all? No, no, all, that are mounted to your bow. Oh, and the gotcha. reason for that is lighting or maybe, maybe it was worded no artificial light on sites. Okay. Really? Yeah. Well, so I called them last year because I shoot a Garmin mm-hmm. and I thought I was going to draw and I called them and, and, you know, asked them like, 
basically I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing, but they said that that uh, a ranging bone bow sight, as long as it doesn't range like a, a dot or you know what I mean? Like shoot a laser, a laser. or what yeah. Yeah, a laser, which it does not, you know, yeah. it doesn't shoot a laser or whatever. Um, then I, I was fine. Okay. So I, to, I don't know. I'll have they to follow up and look in on that. Yeah, because I can definitely because... see how the benefit. Now, I will say this, man: when those when those first came out, those range, uh, those uh, sights, I, I I personally, and a lot since they've come out, they've probably gotten a lot better. But I could not get it to work properly at full draw. Really? Yeah, I I, I was I don't know the button that it, you hit on the grip, whatever. Yep. I could not get it to range properly, and so I just kind of wrote them all off. Which anyway, I couldn't back in the back then. Anyway, I couldn't use them anyway. So, um, I'll have to look back in and see what what's what kind of uh, rule change there's been since then. Because yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if there's been a rule change. Yeah, I'd like to know that too. So. Yeah, but yeah. Okay. Um, you're you're they're they're coming. They're they're in shooting range. How do you handle a moment where? they're maybe hard quartering straight away or they're hard, they're hard quartering right towards you. How do you get through that moment to where you can actually get a shot off at, at, at the vitals? Um, well, first it's going to go back to confidence with my equipment. Yep. Um, and you know, about six years ago I started, working on all my own archery stuff. Mm -hmm. I, I work on my own bows. I don't take them to anybody. I learned on how everything works and, you know, like arrow setups and broadheads and arrows and, and, and how your bow works and how efficient it is. And when is it the most efficient, everything like that. I kind of broke it down yeah. and then it gave me a better understanding of like what I can actually accomplish. Right now. It, this might, this answer might not be for everybody. Um, the first opportunity I get at an animal now, granted, if it's facing straight away from me, obviously I'm, I'm not going to take a, a, like a, in my opinion, a dumb shot. Right. But if, an, if, an, if, if a deer is completely standing right at me, looking at me with my equipment, I'm going to shoot him in the vitals. Like yeah. I'm going to shoot him in the chest. I'm cause I, I know that I can perform that shot. Um, whether it's, right or wrong um i would just say be confident with with what you have shoot the right stuff the right equipment and you'll be successful now i was i was always taught the first the first kill shot you get just you know to capitalize on that that might be quartering too that might be completely broadside that might be quartering away a little bit um and shoot and 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 if you can if you are confident enough in 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 fulfilling that shot then do it but my dad always told me he's like if you have any ounce of man i don't know if i can make that shot any of that mm -hmm. you never take the shot right but if you come into that and you have full confidence like done deal like right. i can do this then you're you're good to go and that yeah. that's kind of how i approach that yeah i don't understand these guys who are like you got to wait for a complete broadside shot at you know 10 yards mm -hmm. just like you man 2021 i i smoked a deer right in his chest he took yep. two hops and fell over dead and mm -hmm. you know i disconnected his heart from his lungs i mean when i went to gut him 
his heart basically was free in his chest cavity. It was crazy. Yeah. And so I, when I have a deer within 10 yards and inside, man, it's, it's the probability. And this sounds very cocky. I don't mean it. The, the probability that that deer is going to get an arrow is as close to 100% as you possibly can get. I'm putting yep. an arrow at, if it is, if it's right at me, it's 100%. If it's hard quartering to me, it's 100%. Now, once we start to get into these hard, like really hard quartering uh, away angles where if you miss a little forward, it's a complete miss. And if you miss back, it's just guts and, and ham. That's the only time I'm backing off or if he's straight away. But if he's straight away and he's straight down, that's a shot. You know, I'm I'm going right between the shoulder blades and I'm going to try to drop him right there. But like for me, I, I, I turn into a killer when a deer was, is within shooting range. I am trying to put an arrow in that animal at all costs. And I know mm-hmm. that sounds really bad, but. I am trying to kill it. I'm not trying to make the best shot on it because you think about it, dude, liver, lungs, heart, spine, veins, all that stuff, even even past the diaphragm back into the guts, man, that deer is going to die and it's going to bleed a lot. If, if you're in the size, I mean, two or three paper plates, and at 10 yards and in, that paper plate is just gigantic if you can mm-hmm. control yourself. And so yeah. I'm taking, like, I'm not waiting very long. Um, if if he feels, if I, if I see him and he's comfortable coming in, then I might wait for him to go through maybe a small shooting lane to get to a complete broadside shot. That would be awesome. But very rarely does that happen because my, I, my stand locations are, are in a in an area where the deer is going to be coming at some point right at me. That's how I have my setups. Uh, mm-hmm. And that if he comes by, he's going to be at 10 yards or something like that. And so, I don't know. Uh, that's just kind of how I, how I operate. But obviously, pass-throughs at broadside are ideal, but they're not, they don't always happen. Yeah, and, and I'm going to be that guy too and just say, you know, shooting a deer straight on or hard quartering too with a, with a some sort of a, a bigger mechanical probably isn't the the best route to go. Um, just I would say just you know do your research yep. and and make sure you have the right the right gear to do it mm-hmm. and then build the confidence with that. Like my my arrow setup is it's only four hundred and seventy grains total weight. Like that's not a not a big arrow. Mm-hmm. Like, but I can tell you I shot you know my Ohio buck that's on YouTube. I shot him right in the chest and it was six inches of the air was sticking out between his legs and he only ran 52 yards and died. And I got a lot of flack for that. I hit him a little higher than I wanted to, but not one time, Dan, I was like, as that deer was coming in, I knew he was coming straight at me. I'm like, if this deer gets here and he's only going to give me a frontal, he's getting shot right there because I just, I have, I have faith in my equipment. Now, Knowing your equipment is key. I think it's I think it's just as important, if not more important, than 
being able to bear down on a deer and and pull the trigger like mm-hmm. it's just as important you know as that like you know how many guys that go out and just don't know just like screw a broadhead on or, yeah. or you know just shoot an arrow that's not for their bow and it's like man you're just doing yourself and that animal disservice like i really just want to zone in on people like just figure out your your gear first yeah absolutely and I, I put a bad shot on a deer in 2018 and ultimately the setup is what killed that deer. It was a heavy arrow with a, a fixed blade broadhead. And I went through the back ham all the way up through his guts, got the diaphragm and came out his front leg underneath of his front leg. Wow. Yeah. And so the arrow was actually completely encased inside of him when mm-hmm. I recovered him. And so it hit everything. I mean, it hit, it hit everything going through the, you know, all the guts and unfortunately it happened, but sometimes it happens. Right. Uh, And there's, you know, you focus on the good shots and then you learn from the bad shots. So for sure. Yeah. Yeah. 18, I shot a, I shot a deer bad as well. Um, I hit him high shoulder, you know, and it was, it was a a complete broadside. And this is an instance where I watched this deer come from 500 yards away. Yeah. And it was a deer that I was hunting for three years. And then yeah. now it's like, here's the time I I've got him. Yeah. And it was like 32, I think it was 32 yards, completely broadside in my last pocket. I rushed the shot, went to full draw and just touched it off, hit him high shoulder. He ended up living and then got hit by a car later that, that winter. Yeah. Um, but then I was able to like examine where I hit him. Cause I went up and seen him when I, where I hit him and everything, I got eight inches of penetration I was shooting a, a mechanical at the time, um, but it wasn't a kill shot. Yeah. You know, it's complete rush job. Didn't didn't slow the moment down, and you know that one hurt. That one stung. That would have been my first four year old in Michigan. Yeah, and yeah. and I didn't get him. That sucks, man. Can you, without experience, slow it down? Yeah, don't don't listen to podcasts don't read magazines don't watch tv don't do any of that (laughs) because i feel like when you throw all the other uh opinions and things in there that's when someone's mind just goes like everywhere and it's like i need to do this i need to do that you can listen and you can watch all that stuff and read all that stuff but form your own opinion do your own work on it um and (laughs) I guess that maybe doesn't answer the question like you, you, you stated. Yeah. Can you, can you slow the moment down with, without much experience? Is then that what you said? Yep. Um, man. Yeah, you, you can, you definitely can. And it's just, it just goes to the man. I, I would say it just goes back to, you, you gotta throw yourself into the fire and do it more. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta, um, you, you gotta do it. You gotta, you gotta go be, in there. You, you gotta, gotta be there. You gotta be there. You gotta be, you gotta do it. You just have to do it. And mm-hmm. honestly, I mean, what is your, what is your thought on the percentage of people that just really don't know a lot about it that are actually going out and bow hunting? Well, I think, I think I can relate to my personal experience is I went out looking for big deer before I knew anything about big deer or mm-hmm. old bucks or whatever. Right? Yep. I, I was like, I'm going to go shoot a big buck. But it took me 10 years to learn all of that stuff. And, and so when I did have encounters, it was a, like 
within that time frame, it was a there was a good chance that the deer was going to walk away from that, right, and not even take an arrow. He was just gonna he was gonna come in. He was gonna bust me, or I was gonna mess up, right? And so yeah. it took me several encounters with several big deer before I had. I don't want to necessarily call it an aha moment, but it started to click for me. Like, okay, all right, they have the upper hand in this scenario. How do I control it? And because when shipwreck showed up, dude, I just straight blacked out. I just straight blacked out. And yep. there, there's nothing that can prepare you for a scenario like that unless you've been in a scenario like that. Okay. And I'll, I'll be honest. It is, it is one of the intense moments, more intense moments that I can remember where your adrenaline just spikes and you kind of lose control. The only thing that I can compare that to is one time I was with a group of people and a car pulled up and the person in the car pulled a gun out and flashed it in, in, in front of this group of people. And I thought the guy was going to start shooting. And my adrenaline just went boom, right? And I was like, uh, do I need to run or what's the what's the deal here? Right. Long story short, like here quick quick caveat here. Somebody walked up to the car, took the gun out of this guy's hand, and started beating it with him through the window into the car. <laughs> it was cra- it was one of the craziest things I to this day I've still ever seen. And they've been the guy took the gun, threw it back in the car, and they sped off. It was nuts. Anyway, my the, I was like, <gasps> like, you know, the adrenaline spike there. The same type of thing happened with shipwreck. It's happened with a couple other deer. And so as I started to progress, I want to say in 2016, it was kind of still tough. To, uh, but I killed, I killed the deer. 2000 and... 17 was kind of was was a rush job as well I, I killed the deer he died within sight um, but I was not in control 2018 definitely not uh, in control 2019 I'm gonna start saying that I started getting in control and I was able to almost tr- just black out everything that was around me and tune in to the shot and put make sure my pin was settled and so as i start to progress on this and the more i do it every year seems to be a little bit better and a little bit better to the point where like this year i was i had a debacle in the tree right an arrow fell out i was able to maintain composure get my get an arrow knocked shoot the deer and then break down so i'm i'm able to start just delaying this reaction because i know what happens if i don't yeah and i think i think another way to be able to like really cope with it in the moment of truth is really you know a lot of times my dad always taught me like if let's say a doe came in or a small buck or something like that he would always teach me to like you know, work on going to full draw at that deer, even if you're not going to shoot him, mm-hmm. you know, go to full draw, see what you can get away with, yeah. see, you know, you know, see what you can do and, and get away with. And you'll learn just by doing that, dude, Dan, I still find myself doing that. Like yeah. if I get a little buck come by or whatever, and I'm, you know, 
just in an area where, you know, I started saddle hunting again. I saddle hunted like 11 years ago. I started saddle hunting full-time last year again. So like I hadn't shot a deer in it in a very long time. So I'm like, I had a deer come by and I went to full draw. I'm like, oh yeah, okay. I can bear down on them. Like if I stop them right now, like we're good. I still find myself doing that. Um, one thing that really helps me is that, but also just really focusing on deer when they get into range, even if you're not going to shoot them, like what, what are they going to do? Like, you know, they pick their head up, they look down, they, you know, try to get like a cadence or something. Every deer is different. And I get that. But what I'm trying to say is, um, you know, it, it's just, I think when, let's say a deer does come in and you're getting ready to shoot, if you focus more on what that deer is doing, it kind of takes off the mindset of like what you have to do. And like, it's just all muscle memory kind of goes, goes into autopilot. But also when I go to full draw, I always feel like the rush moment is like a deer's going to bolt. It's mm-hmm. he's going to go, He you know, he's going to, he's going to leave. Like I, I need to do it now kind of thing that is like the slowing or trying to slow that moment down. So if you know, you come to full draw, even if you're not going to shoot that deer count one, 1,000, two, 1,000, three, 1,000, you know what I mean? It's like, wow. When you really think about it, if you get to five, 1,000, that is a lot of time, you know, when you're full drawing a deer and it kind of like starts getting you into a mindset of, man, I have a little more time than I think I have, you know, it's like, you pull, you pull back. It's like, I got to go. I got to go. You know, yeah. it's just so tense. Um, really just honing in on, on what deer do and how they react when they're in range and then practice pulling your bow back on them. Yep. Even if you're not going to shoot them. Yep. That, that'd be something I'd say. Man, I, I am the type of person who, who motivates myself through hate speech. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, and I'll, I'll give you an example. So when I'm in the weight room, right? I'm like, you're a pussy. You are weak. You're never going to lift this weight. Come on, get out of, get, leave the gym. And so that's the conversation I'm having with myself, right? It's like, pick it up, you pussy. All right. I'm sorry for the language, but you get it, right? And yeah. so when I'm in the tree and I, here comes this deer and I know he's a shooter and I know, he, you know, maybe he's going to come by or I grunt him and he turns. I'm just like, dude, do not F this up. Do not mess mm-hmm. this up. Do not. You've done it before. Don't mess it up. Don't mess it up. And, and so I'm sometimes I'm even whispering it out loud. So I hear it. And so I'm saying it. And then really what that does, man, I, I feel it calms me down because I'll get yeah. my I'll spike for a little bit. But I'm just I, I talk to myself it's like, don't do it. Here we go. You've done it before. Let's go. Come on. Don't do it. Yeah. Don't do it. And then I'm talking to myself the whole time. And then afterwards is when I fall apart. That's where I'm at with it. And, you know, and, and I, I feel like that is somewhat of the character that you, that you establish when you're younger. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go back to, we both played sports in high school and stuff like that. You were, you know, you're a wrestler, you probably played football and all that stuff. Football was a big character builder for me because, and now being a father, this is what I'm trying to instill in my daughter is that there's a couple things I want to teach her and I want her to grasp. And that is when times get tough, I want you to be the one that takes the bull by the horns and says, screw everybody else around here. Mm -hmm. I'm worrying about myself and I'm going to get it done. 
So like when you're fourth and one at the goal line and they're going to hand the ball off to you, if somebody misses their block, I'm going to run over that guy. Like that is what I'm trying to instill in her. And also the other thing is like, is to be, be personal with people. I don't care if you're dumb or in a post, if you can talk to someone and sell something, you're going to go places in life. Okay. So those are two of the big things, but character is the one thing taking control of the situation, no matter what it is and saying, fuck you. Mm -hmm. I'm getting this done. Now that could be at full draw and a deer's coming in. It's like, I have complete control over this situation. Don't be subordinate. Don't be like, well, someone's going to help me. Screw that. Because you're not going to have someone there your whole life. Right. Take the control and do it. So I think that kind of comes with character building as well. Yeah. Yeah. That, that and the experiences. I mean, that, 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 that's what it is for me. It's, I don't know if I could be as comfortable if I've never been there before. I have to live through the fire in order to, to successfully outlive it the next time or make, you know, make it go down the next time. So, and I also want to say also, before we go, you know, if you are that person that is like, let's say you, you maybe don't have a lot of experience and you might be missing deer or wounding deer. But then also in our world now, we've got phones, we've got computers, we've got social media everywhere. And you see other people killing big deer. You see your friends, you hear about them at the bar, these stories, big deer. I killed one this year. I killed three this year. That's awesome. Don't get discouraged because they might be 10 years ahead of you in your in your experiences. Absolutely. You might be just starting out. Don't think you need to jump 10 years ahead. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is one game that has to go from one ladder rung to the next ladder rung. Yeah. You have to keep building that way. Don't get, don't fall into that social media trap of like, yeah. I gotta be someone, be yourself, do your own thing. Yeah. And then there's guys and gals out there who are just straight killers. Mm-hmm. They don't get worked up about it. Right. Yeah. I feel that there, I'm not going to say all of them, but some of the people who are the straight killers have that, I think it's, what's his name? Um, Alex Hunold or Harold or Hunold, the guy who climbed El Capitan and broke the record. Oh, okay. You know, yep. the, the free, free, uh, free, the free solo guy. Yep. They did a, they did research on his brain and they found out that he has a certain part of his brain that um, has fear, that is the inducer of fear, is smaller Therefore, he does not he does not get worked up or show fear or have big adrenaline dumps like the average person does. So wow. he just is not afraid in certain in a scenario like that. And okay. and so there's people out there like that, right? Who they're just That's like wild. you know, two hundred inch are coming in and they're just like, oh, all right, here we go. Pop, you know, like, like get, just, just get the job done. Right. And then yeah. they're just like, yeah, you know, awesome, dude. I shot a giant deer or whatever. So Dan, I got a question for you. Who in like the public eye, whether it could be a TV show, a podcaster, someone that you see as like just a straight up killer. Well, you know, the name Andy may is always yeah. up, up in there. But there's a lot of guys, man. There's a lot of people that they're straight up killers from experience or from just being a killer themselves. Mm-hmm. And the, the one guy who who's not really on social media, but is probably and I've said this a lot in the in the past 
you know, within this year so far. Sam Kalora, uh, he he's shot, I think, multiple. He, well, I know he shot three 200 inchers. Pretty sure you're going to see a North American whitetail uh, cover coming this summer sometime with his fourth one. And yeah. he's also a straight up killer. Like, yeah. like just does it. And, and, and not to take anything away from him at all. Be, the guy is, the guy's a killer and he's not only mm-hmm. a killer, but he's an excellent human being. And, and so yeah. if I was to look up and want to be somebody, I would want to be him in, in life. And so, uh, him, Andy may, and, you know, I'm sure there's, I, I could go in and, and name a lot of other people, but there's also a side of me, and this is just a, a comment. I don't know if I should make it or not, but then there's, then you start to get into people who are doing it for business and not for pleasure. And I don't want to, mm-hmm. I don't want to talk about those people. I, sure. I like, I'm talking about the people who are passionate deer hunters. My buddy, Lucas psycho, he, the, the dude, the dude just gets the job done every yep. year. And a lot of that has to do with I dude, dude's a, dude's a killer, dude's a slayer. Mm-hmm. So, yep, I like that. What about I put you? you on the spot? Oh man, um, yeah, like I'm gonna reiterate Andy May, Lucas. I don't know Lucas personally, yeah, but every time, like from the white knuckle days mm-hmm. and everything like that, he's just a guy that. And every time you have him on, I am tuning in. Yeah, I just love listening to that guy talk. Yeah. Um, but Lucas is one of those guys as well. And it it's uh it's the guys I agree with you that are kind of doing it under the radar. Like I have a buddy, I'm not gonna name his name because he just wants not social media or nothing like that. Um, he just he's a straight up killer. Mm-hmm. He it doesn't matter, you know, it's it's one of those guys, it's like it's not if, it's just when he's gonna kill the upper echelon buck that year. Um and he just gets it done. He just gets it. He just he just loves it. Um you know, guys like that, my dad, but my dad, so, you know, he's not so much, he's getting older. He's in his mid sixties, but like, you know, when he was in his prime and everything like that, my dad was a flat out, like yeah. he, he gets it. He, he just gets it done. Like he, he does. He's killed some of the bigger Michigan deer that I've, that I've, you know, been around and those top tier bucks we talk about those three and, you know, he might've killed one or two, four year olds maybe, but like my dad is, with a bow, you know, he, he was to the point where it was like, it was, it was, he was getting the job done. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll tell you what, man, I, I had this, you know, they've done this before and they would, you know, they said, okay, who is in your, if you're going to draft, you know, like I'll get first draft pick or you get first draft pick and you got to draft five guys on your team or 10 guys on your team who are going to go out and get it done. Dude, I bet you six of those guys, no one's ever heard of before yeah in in my list right and so i don't know man like there's a lot of people out there i know a guy specifically he graduated two years ahead of me he he's shot several 170s he shot a 205 and now he's to the point he's he's to the point i've had this conversation with andre de Quisto, where there's not a deer on his farms worth shooting because he's only interested in big deer that he's not hunting. Like he, he will find out in July. And if for a bonus buck shows up on their farm, he he's not even going out into the woods anymore. And so 
that's the level they're on as opposed to like, I'm going to go out and I want to shoot the top tier, tier deer every single year. Like, I don't want to wait for, you know, if, if the biggest buck is a 148 pointer, I'm going to shoot a 148 pointer. If the yeah. big, if the biggest deer is 200, great. That's great. I'm going to, I'm going to yeah. go after a 200, but these guys, they're more in the inch category and they're just like, Hey, and, and they're passing 176 year olds. Like, are, are you, that. are you kidding me? Who does that? 170 inches. Who's passing that? A lot of people. Uh, I mean, kudos to them, but yeah. man, I just can't, I can't, I don't know if I would be, uh, mentally functional for the rest of the year if i just was like man there's nothing around here to hunt i'm just yeah. not gonna do that like yeah. i'm gonna i'm gonna hunt i have to hunt like yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know but if there is a deer worth shooting and and there and he showed me a trail camera picture of it in july <laughs> that deer will be dead by november i just like like they're just though it's just that big of a killer killers mm-hmm. and they don't like I don't know if some of these guys have kids. I don't know if some of these guys have any other activities. Like I, dude, my life is busy. I wish I could just be the, the 25, you know, 30 year old version of me that just, well, it's two o'clock on a Tuesday works done. I'm going to go scout public till dark (laughs) or I'm going to go scout till dark. You know that I can't do that anymore. And so, I'm I'm just in a completely different world as some of these people, but yeah, dude, lots of killers out there. For sure. Do you think I agree? Do I, you think inches inches add to that? Like if a you know if your goal if your goal let's say is a a, a hundred and twenty five inch three year old in Michigan, and all out of nowhere uh, a a one hundred and fifty inch. 145 inch four-year-old pops out of nowhere are you is, are you getting more hyped about that or or are you treating them the same i i'm getting way more hyped about it yeah. but i'm also not going to hold out to kill that 150 yeah. like because i've just been around if it's here in michigan i've just been around it too much to know that that deer's probably in the areas that i get to hunt he's probably just a passerby mm-hmm. you know what i mean he's mm-hmm. not we we can't hold deer on the farms that I I have to hunt here. I can't I can't hold deer. You know I've got one farm that's 220 acres, and the majority of it's wooded. We can't we can't hold deer like our yeah. it is it is so difficult. You know yeah. so it's like you know I, I I film a lot and we'd go to like Illinois and be like we'd pick out a deer like we're gonna hunt that deer and we're gonna kill that deer and we were pretty darn good at it. Yeah. The guys that I was hunting with, you know. And then I tried coming home and implementing that. I'm like, I'm going to pick out that deer. And I'm going to kill that deer. There was dude, there was years I wasn't killing. I'm like, that's, I, it taught me a lot, but I'm like, I'm not into that. Like I'm, I'm, I'm more into like, like I want to kill some deer. Like yeah. I want to uh, not, I don't need to kill one every year, but like every other year, if I, if I go two years without killing a deer, a buck, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, I, I need to, I need to turn my shit up a little bit. Yeah. You know, maybe I'm not doing something right. Yeah. Starting <clears throat> to hyper-focus. Uh, all right. We've been chatting an hour now. Is there any other, any anything else we need to talk about on how to control ourselves during that moment of truth? I mean, we've talked a little bit about the thought process. Do you go through or have a specific checklist 
that you go through when as you're drawing, as you're anchoring, as you're settling the pin? Um, not so much a checklist. Maybe it's just I'm so used to it now that it just happens. Uh, but I would say, you know, one thing I would do and and to tell everybody out there is just simplify everything. Like, yeah. you know, just just make everything as simple as possible. If that's shooting a whisker biscuit, go shoot a whisker biscuit. Yeah. So you don't have to worry about it. That's one less thing you have to worry about. If that's shooting a Garmin bow sight, then do that. If it's shooting a fixed one pin that you can't move and it's dialed at 25 and you have to, then do that. Don't try, try not to throw as many monkey wrenches into the whole system as you can. Like just simplify it. Um, Where I was at my worst for two years is when I was like trying to be someone that I wasn't, I was changing bows in season. I was trying to shoot a thumb release when I was just not comfortable with it, trying to switch up an arrow or a broadhead. Don't do that. Mm -hmm. Like, I learned the hard way. I was, you know, missing deer, pussing up deer and, and trying to be something that I wasn't figure out your system and do it that way. And just hone in on it. Now my checklist is I shoot a kisser button yep. and, um, you know, my nose hits the part of the string every time in the same. So like kisser button, I know that's check number one. And then my nose is going to hit the string. If my nose is not hitting the string, then something, a red flag goes off. Like yeah. something's not right. Um, and I just have repeatedly shot my bow so much that it's just muscle memory. Now you just come to full draw. That's my two checks and kind of gets me centered and we're good to go. Yeah. Yeah. So I had, I used to play rugby and there was the, the referee would say before there's this, the scrum, they would say, uh, what would they say? Pause, touch. And then the front line would put their hands on the other, uh, other uh, teams' shoulders, and then engage, and everybody comes forward in the scrum. And I, I, I kind of followed that when I'm when I'm getting ready to take the shot, like deers is. My pause is my draw. Mm-hmm. My touch is the anchors, and the engage is me pulling the trigger. And so I, I, that's just kind of pause, touch, engage. And so that's I've kind of carried that with me to to that and it's just a simple saying that i do every time i in my head or i say it out loud sometimes mostly it's in my head right before i pull the trigger and uh i like that while i'm pulling the trigger and so it always kind of calm that that helps in the in the moment as well so man i think what we've covered today is really beneficial um i think it's a combination of just being in that scenario the more you're in that scenario, the more it will help. The more practice you do, the con- the more confident you feel in your equipment and your gear. And then also just being able to calm yourself down through mm-hmm. hate speech or or just, you know, whatever 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 it is, if you got to take a whole bunch of deep breaths, if you got to close your eyes, get 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 in control. And I, um, some people can do that easier than others. And, you know, like we said, there's killers out there that just, they, they're just really good at handling intense pressure. Yeah. Agreed, man. And I would say the last thing for me is it's okay to fail. Yeah. Do things fail. Cause you're going to learn from them. Mm-hmm. Um, and accept that it's okay to do it. Just accept it and just keep moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. Aaron, excellent episode today. Thanks again for hopping on and uh, continuing the fall sessions here. Um, That's it. We'll talk to you next week.
Sounds good, man. Thanks, Dan. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another episode in the books. Huge shout out to Aaron. Huge shout out to all of you. Huge shout out to Tethered Wasp, Vortex, Hunt Stand, Woodman's Pal, and Huntworth. Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. And last but not least, good vibes, man. Like in the past couple days or week, it's been really stressful. Uh, just things going on. You know, there's been a couple things in my life where, uh, you know, they things have not gone as planned. And if I lose control, then everybody else lose, loses control. And if I get pissed, then the rest of the family is pissed. So the goal is to just remain positive. Uh, the One of the best things I've ever heard is if life gives you a shit sandwich, eat it with a smile on your face because there's literally nothing you can do except keep a positive attitude. All right. Planning, prep, uh, planning, uh, preparation and execution can all help avoid shit sandwiches. But when life says it's time for you to eat a shit sandwich, just do it with a smile on your face because complaining, crying and whining does not, it's not efficient. It doesn't help in any way. It only makes problems worse. So just get it over with, go do it, move on, learn from it and uh, have a good day. So good vibes in, good vibes out. And we will talk to you next time. Thank you.